it is Thanksgiving, and uh, do you guys notice the beautiful decorations today? Sp special thanks to Carol Hansen for that. Let's give her. I think it actually looks better with the kind of construction plywood look that we got going on up here. It, 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 we're going to stick with this, I think. It just, uh, it's sort of symbolic. The unfinished, your unfinished lives and our unfinished platform. There we go. I uh, want to just, before we get into our message this morning and, and uh, a little bit of a Thanksgiving exercise that I want to lead you into, a couple things just uh, wanted to mention uh, is, uh, one, uh, Jocelyn Chapman, uh, Holly Slater, as you, some of you would know, is our, our, our interim sort of office administrator. She's kind of carried on in that role in a part-time way, but she has limited hours because she's also a full-time student. Jocelyn Chapman is our job share She's working with Holly, uh, co-working in that role. So, Jocelyn, I want you to stand up. Let's uh, give a warm welcome. Jocelyn's... She's been part of the family for a while now, and now she's working for the family. So, way to go. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, in case you didn't know, and you heard, Sherry uh, shared about our preschool having new flooring, and it's being refurbished entirely. Uh, it's because we, uh, one of our members, Susie Ugrash, is opening an infant daycare in our uh, preschool space. There is a crisis in the Lower Mainland, but especially in the Tri-Cities, of daycare spaces. In fact, Susie, who's opening this uh, zero to three daycare, has a waiting list of 72 for 12 spots. So, so we just, we have had that space vacant during the week, not really being used, and we just felt like you know what, this could be a win-win. And, and so uh, some of the, the improvements that are going on to our playground and, uh, and that part of the, the wing is fitting in nicely with our warm welcome plan and uh, God's been providing. And if you could pray for Susie, she's going through some significant red tapes, red tape and hoops that the this local city and, and uh, BC Health, all that kind of stuff, good things, I think, but also it's very challenging to get a yes and a thumbs up. And so she's hoping to start... November 1st, and uh, she'd appreciate your prayers. But just wanted to give you a couple of those uh, little updates. Lots of, lots of stuff going on, and, and you're probably not updated enough, but uh, next week we hope to let you know what's happening with our refugee family that are coming, and so we'll give you an update about that next week. Well, we're going to start uh, in just a few moments our series. We're going to continue that, our series on Acts. But before we do, I, I'm going to open up just for a brief opportunity for you to speak out a phrase or words of thanksgiving to God. In fact, we're going to have you fill in the blank. Those of you who are willing to be bold and brave and to speak out in, in front of the whole congregation, just saying, Lord, I'm thankful for, and fill in the blank. And uh, last week, uh, just to get us thinking about this, I made fun of some of you for not knowing who Coldplay was, right? Well, I, I think most of you should know who Denzel Washington is. Denzel Washington being a, you know Academy Award-winning actor, uh, he's also a follower of Jesus, and a couple of years ago in his church at, at a banquet, he uh, gave a speech, and in that, he encouraged his congregation to be in a constant uh, attitude of gratitude for God's goodness in their lives, and uh, this is some of what he said. He said, give thanks for blessings every day. Every day, he says, embrace gratitude. It's impossible to be grateful and hateful at the same time. And then he ended with a prayer. He said, I pray that you put your slippers way under your bed at night, so when you wake in the morning, you have to start on your knees to find them. And he says, while you're down there, say thank you. Uh, Lincoln led us in a, in a beautiful prayer earlier of Thanksgiving, and uh, we have much to be thankful for. God has indeed blessed, and we want to pay attention to his blessings. The song we sang was 10,000 Reasons. And so I want to give you that opportunity this morning, our, our praise, our thanksgiving, rising up to the very glory of God. So would you, just those of you who are willing, would shout out, and, and I'm going to suggest we just take 30 seconds of quiet. So before we start, just think about what are some of the things that you're really grateful for today? So, Lord, I'm thankful for 
being able to know God. Yeah, yeah, for family. That's good. Anyone else? Lord, I'm thankful for. Um, yeah, the cross. Lord, I'm thankful for. Inner peace. Amen. Thanks, Carmen. Lord, I'm thankful for. Amen. Lord, I'm thankful for. Mm. Fellowship is a good gift. Thank you, Lord. Kindness and goodness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for. Amen. For our church, this family. Lord, I'm thankful for. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for. work. Amen. Paychecks. Aren't you grateful for a paycheck, people? Amen. Amen. Preach it, brother. So, Lord, we are thankful this morning. We are thankful, Lord, that you are awesome and good and kind, and you express it to us in a million different ways. Even the breath we're breathing right now is a gift from you. The very life we live and uh, the freedoms we enjoy, the, the, God, we are, are grateful. And uh, we give you praise, Lord, and, and we pray that you might in us cause us to, to not miss the blessings, to be aware. Give us a, a, an attentiveness to your goodness in our lives every day. We bless you this morning, Lord, and we give you thanks. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, at our Discover Hillside class that we had a couple weeks ago, we were talking at my table about favorite movies, and there seemed to be some shared enthusiasm around the film Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, Will Ferrell stars in that. It's a story where the lead character, uh, Harold Crick, he is a, a tax auditor with the IRS. And uh, in the scene I want to show you, he spent the day auditing Anna Pascal, who is a bakery owner, and in kind of a humorous way, she's a tax anarchist. She refuses to pay her taxes. And so she's made the day very difficult for Harold, and she seems to feel bad about it. So when he comes down from, from checking on her books and he comes down from the attic, uh, she has a gift that she wants to give him. Let's, uh, let's watch the screen. Well, good night. You want a cookie? Oh, no. Come on. They're warm and gooey. They're fresh out of the oven. No, I don't like cookies. 
You don't like cookies? What's wrong with you? I don't know. Everybody likes cookies. No, I know. After a really awful, no good day, didn't your mama ever make you milk and cookies? No. My mother didn't bake. The only cookies I ever had were store-bought. Sit down. No, I'm... No. Sit down. Now, eat a cookie. I, I really can't. Mr. Crick, it was a really awful day. I know. I made sure of it. So pick up the cookie, dip it in the milk, and eat it. That's a really, really good cookie. Mm. <laughs> I love that scene. And, and I love the, the metaphor that's in that. I hope you caught that a little bit. For all of Harold's life, he's lived without the, the delicious, wonderful experience of eating a home-baked cookie. I mean, all he's had his whole life have been store-bought. I mean, think dads. You tear it out of plastic, and it's hard. And uh, it's, you don't know when it's been manufactured, but it came out of some factory somewhere. And, and, and it convinced Harold that he didn't even like cookies. So he's like, no, no, I don't, I don't want a cookie. I don't like cookies. So he got all kinds of reasons why he wouldn't like it, because his whole experience has been this bad-tasting cookie. Kind of makes me wonder as I think about that scene is how many people have had a bad taste in their mouth after a lifetime of what you might call store-bought Christianity, what we might call religion, uh, where, where somehow the Christian faith got reduced to something that it wasn't meant to be, uh, you know, lists and, or rules, um, moments of inspiration, but not much more that carry you past the moment. Religion. And, the, and there'd be those, that, I think, when they have that kind of experience with, of the Christian faith, they'd say, if this is all there is, why in the world would I want that? Well, can, well folks, that, that's not the kind of Christianity we see it evidenced in the book of Acts. What we see in Acts is the type of faith in Christ that turned lives upside down. In fact, it, it actually turned whole communities upside down. I mean, culture shifted and changed as a result of the explosion of life that happened among those who call themselves followers of Jesus. And, and I've said this before, but it's kind of a weird goal to have. I, I have a, a goal, and I would say we have a passion here at Hillside, that we would become a church that is wholly dissatisfied with cheap imitations of faith with store-bought Christianity, the, the, the type of Christianity that doesn't change a life at all, that you can be coming to a church for 40 or 50 or 60 years and not see any movement in the things that really matter, right? Instead, it's our passion that we discover the kind of life-altering faith, the, the life-giving walk with Jesus that we see evident in the early church. You know, the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And like Harold tasted the cookie, we want to learn, how do we actually taste of the living God? How do we actually experience his life in our life? And I want to say, I, 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 I think part of it has to do with our experience, our embracing of that third and almost forgotten member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So again, we're going to think this morning about how do we experience the spiritual vitality of God through his spirit. 
So if you have your Bibles with you, if you don't have a Bible, our, our ushers at the back would be happy to put a Bible in your hand. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read part of this chapter, which, which many have called kind of the birth of the church. This is where the church begins. Uh, Jesus had sent his disciples, said, wait for that gift that I promised you, go to Jerusalem. And they've been waiting, and then the day of Pentecost happens. So Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were sta- staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are, are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own own tongues. Amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11. The 11 were the the, the, the other apostles, disciples. Peter raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Then jump into verse 36. Therefore, he says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, You know, when I was growing up, I don't remember my dad giving me much in the way of relationship advice, but he did tell me one thing, one one piece. He said, when you're interested in a girl and you think she might be WM, which means wife material. I know you you were wondering what that was, weren't you, Will? WM. You know, before you're swept off your feet in love, take a good long look at her family, at, at her parents, right? Because he said, you're not just marrying the girl, you're marrying the whole family. And so there's that meet the parents phenomenon, you know, that that scary and and sometimes traumatic experience of of seeing what his or her family is is really like. And and I tell you folks, on on weekends like this, this is happening to real people in our city right now. They're meeting the in-laws, maybe for the first time. They're having a bit of a shock. What did I get myself in for? Well, when you look at Jesus and you look at his life and you look at his teaching, we find it doesn't take him long for him to begin to introduce us to his family. Yeah, I, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who kind of rejected the whole idea of the Trinity because he said, just give me Jesus, the simple Jesus. I don't like Father. I don't like Holy Spirit. 
But here's the thing. You don't have to spend much time with Jesus before what is he doing? He's introducing us to his heavenly Father and to the Holy Spirit. And when we're baptized, we're we're not just baptized into the name of Jesus, as Peter pointed out there. But Jesus instructed, when you baptize, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and so our relationship with, with God is a relationship with a God who is, in fact, three in one. Which, which means that God is not a solitary God. Uh, God is a community. I like how pastor and scholar Daryl Johnson puts it. He says, this threefold family is at the center of the universe. God is a family. That, that's, that's one of the deepest realities that exists in the universe. Yeah, it it kind of makes sense a little bit when you think about it. Our, our deepest joys in life, and I would say... Our deepest sorrows are often connected to our experience of family. I mean, doesn't doesn't that explain why this weekend and weekends like this are so charged with emotions and and maybe expectations and hopes and disappointments, all those kind of things? It's actually because we're made in the image of God, and, and God is a community. God is a family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus was, was keen to get us in on his family. He wanted to introduce us to, to them. And in fact, as we looked at last week, Jesus said, it's going to be better when I go away because I'm going to send you a member of my family. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so you get to the book of Acts. By the way, isn't that a strange name for a book? Acts. I, I can't even pronounce that. It's just me that that sounds funny too, coming out of my lips. Acts. Seriously, it's an awful word. Forgive us, those non-English, you know, English is a second language, it's just a bad word. But actually, you got to think about what is it referring to, and we're told it really referred to the acts of the apostles, the, the, the activities and the deeds of the early church, how they, what they actually went on to do. But some have said you could just as easily call it the acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, no other New Testament book is as prominent. The Holy Spirit is mentioned more in the book of Acts than any other book. Um, you might remember, who is the author of Acts? Luke. You're right, Luke. You're pretty good with Paul, though. You can say Paul with just about everything in the New Testament. You're, you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to be okay. But this is Luke. Poor James. He barely gets a mention. But, oh, thank you. Kind soul. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. This is great. I had not even asked, and she answered. Um, so Luke was the author of Acts, but he was also the author of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, actually, Luke it mentions the Holy Spirit quite a bit as well, but it's interesting. There's parallels between these two books, especially in the first couple of chapters. In chapters 1 and 2 of, of Luke, you have, if you... That's really where our Christmas stories come from. The best Christmas stories, I think, come from Luke, in my opinion. And Luke chapter 1 is all the promise and excitement and anticipation around the coming of the Christ child, the Messiah. And then Luke chapter 2 is, you know, you got wise men, foreigners coming from far away, and you got the stars and the shepherds and angels in the sky, all these signs and wonders accompanying the arrival of the king. And then in Acts, you get Acts chapter 1. Acts, you got the, the, the promise and anticipation of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 2, you have the coming of the Holy Spirit, his arrival, accompanied with all these signs and wonders, including people coming from far away who spoke different tongues, and, and tongues of fire and rushing wind, all accompanying that, that, that day. And so Jesus, he gave this uh, promise of the Spirit and it turns out he wasn't the first to give that promise. And Peter, when explaining what was going on to the people gathered, he pointed them to an Old Testament prophet. And in verse 16, Peter says, he says, this, what was, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. 
You might miss how radical this would have been to hear if you were one of Peter's listeners that day. You see, in Old Testament times, it was not like the Holy Spirit never was evident in the lives of people. It just seemed that the Holy Spirit only came upon priests and prophets and and kings. And here, the main thing that Peter is saying has been fulfilled in Joel's prophecy is the Spirit of God is being poured out on all people. Sons and daughters, young, young men, old men, men and women. We're talking egalitarian here, folks. You're not, you're not excluded because of your gender. There, there, there's one other place in, in the book of Acts where we're told that the Holy Spirit is poured out. It's actually in Acts chapter 10, verse 45, and it was on Cornelius and his family. Cornelius, we're told, was a God-fearer, but he was not a Jew, and, and they, were, they were Gentiles. They were what you would call outsiders to the people of God. And it says in verse 45 of chapter 10 that the circumcised believers, the, the Jewish Christians, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. It was actually an outstanding turn, a pivotal moment in the life of the people of God where they went from being a, a closed, sort of ethnically-centric a group of people to a, to a group that meant the world, really, to the ends of the... You and I, we're, most of us, I would say, in this room are probably Gentiles. That's our background. And, and folks, in a, in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about praying to, to further our relationship with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, and how we might increasingly learn to live life in the Spirit. But the picture from the book of Acts is simply this. No one is excluded from that opportunity. <laughs> this amazing gift of life with God, the Spirit being poured out on all who trust in Christ. Uh, we talked last week about some of the language uh, around the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, around the working of the Holy Spirit. There are really four phrases throughout the book that describe kind of the work that the Holy Spirit does. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's the pouring out of the Spirit, receiving of the Spirit, and then there's the filling of the Spirit. And it can be kind of confusing. Uh, they, they, they're often used today kind of interchangeably. And, it, and, and by the way, I don't think we should get bent out of shape about how different people and different churches actually talk about this language. I, I, I think that the whole point is that the Holy Spirit is working. That's the, the main, main thing. But I do think it's, it's helpful to clarify that, that the first three, baptism and pouring out and receiving, are all kind of talking about the, the same thing. We're talking about that initial gift of the Spirit. When, when Christ, through his Spirit, comes in and dwells us. The, just a couple of verses after the use of poured out in chapter 10, verse 47, has the Jewish Christians, speaking of Cornelius and the family there, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Two verses before, poured out, now we're talking received. They seem to be saying the same thing. Later in Acts chapter 2, Peter gives this promise to those who repent, turn from their sins, and put their faith and trust in Jesus. He says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. And don't you just love this next line? And for all who are far off. That's us again. Isn't that cool? We're right in the, the passage. You didn't notice that, maybe? I always like underline those ones. We're the far off ones who are included for all whom the Lord our God will call. So, the, so again, there's this initial gift of the Holy Spirit, this baptism, this receiving, this pouring out of the Spirit, where, where the Spirit comes to, to dwell within us when we, we become a Christian. But then there's this ongoing relationship with the Spirit, what Scripture seems to call the filling of the Spirit. And what it really is, is, is God, by His Spirit, working out, making real, his salvation in our lives. Isn't that a big word, salvation? It is, isn't it? I mean, we, we get the word saved from that. We, some people describe that as what it means to be a Christian. You're saved, saved from sin. And there's that aspect of, of salvation, of deliverance and rescue, rescue from danger, rescue, deliverance from, from sin and those kind of things. It also can have this idea of restoration, sort of redemption. I, I like the word reclaimed, reclamation. 
The, the fancy word for this is uh, the word sanctification, which means making holy, the Holy Spirit, making a person holy, purifying them, refining them like gold, you know, that's been pulled out of the ground and needs to be melted down to, to release the impurities, making whole. I, I said last week um, how Romans 8 is just a place I think many of us should live for a bit. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's such a great description of, of life in the Holy Spirit. And, and the contrast in Romans 8 is, is really a, a life uh, around life and death. It contrasts those two. And, and it's kind of like the, that there's a choice to go either way, that each of us have a choice to live with life in the Spirit or we live life in the flesh, which is the life of death. And the power that comes from the Spirit And Paul says this astounding thing in verse 11 of Romans 8. He says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Let me just point out a couple things here, just on the side, is that the Holy Spirit is present in all the big events in Scripture. We, We don't always notice them, but... But honestly, back in creation, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. You know, the Spirit was like a bird flying over the deep. So active in creation. In the resurrection, we understand that he was the one who actually, it was through the Spirit's power that Christ was brought back from the dead. And and he says in that same light, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. And he goes on to talk about, Paul says, oh, this is really a life of, about freedom, you know? You, you don't have to act out those, those self-destructive patterns anymore in your life. Those, those habits, you know, you know those habits, right? Those habits that you have that you don't want to do, you know they're not good for you, and you do them anyway, and you can't seem to help yourself. You know that, right? We all have the, that, that thing, that habit. Paul says in Romans 8, he says, You have no obligation to that habit anymore. You're not tied to it. In fact, you now have, by the power of the Spirit, the freedom to actually step out of that, to actually choose life in that moment, where maybe you were a slave before. You're no longer a slave. It's not that you might not actually walk out that habit. You might still behave that way, but you just don't have to anymore. The power of the Spirit frees you to choose a different way. The same spirit who raised Jesus can raise you. I would say this morning, folks, that the picture of a person controlled by the spirit is a picture of reclamation and restoration and renewal. Um, this spring, one of my highlights was going and visiting a friend of mine named Murray. He's a friend and a mentor. And uh, he's a little bit further ahead of me. He's a pastor. And we spent a couple days together. And when I, I arrived at his place on a Sunday evening, and he says, uh, I want to show you my inheritance. And we went out to his garage, and he hit the button on his garage, and up went, and this car was sitting in the garage. And the car has quite the story. We, we, he actually took me for a great ride uh, out to Okotoks, Alberta. Anybody been to Okotoks? I have no idea how to spell that, but it's got the greatest sounding name of its town ever, Okotoks. And they got good barbecue in Okotoks. But we had this fantastic drive in this car. What happened was, back in in, uh, 1970 or 71, somewhere around there, this was my friend Murray's wife's Lori's car. She, as a student, she had this car, and she was driving it down the road one day, and the engine blew. And the dad, being a merciful father said, listen, I'll buy that off you so you can go to college. And so he gave her more than she paid for it. She'd paid 75, he gave her 100 bucks. And he took that car off her hands and he put it on their family property in Yakima, Washington. Another great sounding town, isn't it? And, and uh, they, they put it into their barn. Where, for the next number of years, 30 years, it began to look like this. That's what it looked like. Rotting, rusting hulk. I mean, cats were nesting in this thing, and birds, and uh, it was in rough, rough shape. When in, in 2005, uh, Lori's father was walking through the barn, and he said, you know what? I either got to get rid of this thing, or I got to fix that thing up. 
and he called one of his friends who is one of those mechanics slash artists who restore old vehicles. And then over the next year and a bit, this guy with painstaking precision dismantled this entire car piece by piece. And, and there's some parts that needed to be replaced entirely, but some he would, he would put in acid baths and, and uh, re-chrome things that, that where the chrome had entirely uh, rusted away. I don't know what you'd even describe it. But painstakingly re- repairing the, the upholstery and, and, and taking the engine and starting from scratch almost, restoring it. And, and what happened was the result was this. This beautiful, beautiful car. And entirely restored to what was meant to be off the, off the lot, you know? That, that, that new, it even had that new car smell. And it's quite something, actually, driving in it. Because, and, and, and think about restoring this. Even the radio had, like, vacuum tubes in it. And, like, it was like, it's like 1948. That's before many of you were a twinkle in your parents' eyes, right? And completely restored. Can I say this? That, that is... That is Jesus' vision for you and for me. He wants, to, he wants to, to embark with our permission on a restorative process where he begins to address all the brokenness in our lives, all, all those habits, all, all the, the fears, the hang-ups, the baggage. I mean, anybody admit to having a little bit of baggage in your life? You, you, know, you know, some of us are carrying a little bit of this, but some of us, it's more inside, right? We're carrying some internal baggage. Our hurts, our, our disappointments, our, those mistakes we made, those regrets, those, those things that we wish we could undo. And every time we think about it, it's like we close up. Our feelings, our sin. I mean, that, that, that rut of sin that it seems like no matter what we do, we just kind of end up in that rut again. You know, our way of coping with, with whatever we're facing. And, and I, I think of God's desire, Jesus' desire is actually to, to bring salvation to every part of our life. Not just to save our souls, but to actually get it at our emotions and, and our hearts and our bodies and our minds so that we're able to live according to life in the Spirit. And he wants to just renew us. It's, it's a lifelong process. It's what we call sanctification. And we cannot, he's called the Holy Spirit. We can't expect the, the Holy Spirit not to want to make us holy if he's indwelling us. He's this healer and restorer. He's working to save us from the inside out. Now, this is God's job. This is his job in our lives. This is not meant to suddenly, the Christian life, the life in the Spirit is not to become a burden. This, this religion, this list, it's not works. It is less the acts of you, and it is more the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's job to help us live empowered lives where we are both, I would say, growing and flowing. Flowing in the Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, the Holy Spirit will come and guide you into all truth. So when it comes to discovering an authentic spiritual life, a life filled with the Spirit, our primary job is actually to respond to the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Our job is not going to be to be in control. Our job is to to want the Spirit. It's to desire the Spirit, to, to walk in the Spirit, to submit to the Spirit, because the Spirit is going to lead And when Jesus sends his spirit, here's the real key. He doesn't want us to have just a taste. (laughs) He wants us to be filled with his spirit. He still wants that. He wants our cups to be filled with the fullness of of all all that God wants to give us. His, His life and his joy and his love and his power. So filled up we overflow. So that we might be able to eventually say with the psalmist in Psalm 23, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even in the presence of mine enemies, my cup overflows. You know, I, his vision, God's vision for you and his vision for me and his vision for this church is, is not one of scarcity, not where we're eking by an existence, but abundance, abundance in every way. 
So how do we get in on this life? I, I want to just spend uh, a few moments, the rest of our time together, really thinking about that question. Specifically, what gets in the way of being filled with the Holy Spirit? If God wants to do this in us, what, is it, what are the, the hindrances? What are the obstacles? Uh, Nicky Gumbel was helpful to me in, in, in thinking about this. He, he talks about how Jesus was teaching his disciples on, on the subject of prayer and on the Holy Spirit in, in Luke chapter 11. And in that passage, he addresses some of the difficulties we might have in receiving from God. First of all, there, there are many doubts that, that we have in this whole area. The, the primary one being, if I ask, if I ask for the Spirit, will I receive? And Jesus simply says, I say to you, ask and it will be given. And he, and he goes on to say, you know, seek and you will find. And a, and a third time he says, knock and the door will be open to you. And then Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives, he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. I mean, he's a little repetitive here, wouldn't you say? Why does he have to say it six times? It's because I'd say he knows you and me. He knows human nature that we find it difficult to believe that God would give us anything, let alone the gift of himself, the gift of his spirit. So doubt is, is probably the first hurdle for many of us, uh, but some of us get tripped up by fear. I think this is a big one. I think this is a big one for this congregation, if I can be honest. We're, we're afraid. We talked about this, how we have this fear of giving control of our lives to God. Is, is God actually good? We're also afraid of what we'll receive from him. Will it be strange or weird? Will it be right? And here Jesus goes on to use the analogy of a, a, of a human father. He says, which of you dads, if your child, your son, asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? It's like a rhetorical question, like stupid, right? Like who would do that? Or, or, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Like no one, right? It's unthinkable, right? right? And he says, he goes on to actually not be very compliment. You though you are evil, he says to human fathers, that is evil compared to God, wouldn't treat your children like that. It's inconceivable that God the Father would treat you like that because he's good. He's not going to disappoint us. If we ask for the Holy Spirit and all the wonderful gifts that he wants to, to give that's exactly what we'll receive. It'll only be good that we receive from God. Now, a third hurdle might be having a sense of, of I don't deserve this, a sense of inadequacy, a sense of unworthiness. And it's true, it's, it's important for us that there is no kind of unforgiveness or other sin in our lives, you know, that, that we've turned our back on what we know is wrong. When God reveals, when he puts his finger on something that, that is wrong in our lives, we confess it and repent from it, but I would say this, even after doing all that, even though your, your slate is clean, sometimes we can still be haunted with this nagging sense of unworthiness. As, as Nicky Gubble says, he says he thinks that, that we might think that, that God would only give gifts to very advanced Christians, but not to us. But Jesus doesn't say how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to very advanced Christians. No. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me, let me ask you this morning, do you want all that, that God wants to give, give you today? I would say it starts with asking. I mean, Jesus, when it came to this very topic, he said, ask, ask, ask some more. Keep on asking. Don't stop asking. All, all the, the, the verbs there are present continuous. You keep on asking. Ask and keep on asking. I, I, I know for me, uh, the journey of experiencing more of, of God and his spirit, it, it, it was a journey of a couple years of, of growing in, in dissatisfaction for where I was at and asking God, I, I want to experience this real spirit walk with you. So maybe you, you're actually just determining to, on a day like today that you're going to start on that journey. You're going to take those steps. You know, I, I was, let me ask you this morning, do you want all the good things that God wants to give you? Do you want that? Uh, it's interesting, on, on Christmas Day, or Christmas Eve actually, Angel and I, we uh, make stockings for the boys, you know, Christmas stockings, we fill them, and it's like, we put like trinkets, and we used to put candy until our boys would eat all of the candy 
first thing in the morning. Like they would eat all of the candy. I'm, I'm talking they'd empty the entire stocking and I would put in like a week's worth of candy and it'd be gone by like 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. They were just like, you know, it was craziness. So now they get like fruit, <laughs> you know. That's so they, yeah, one candy, like, you know, you know, leftover Halloween candy maybe. That's what they get. But they get, you know what, you know what else, we, we, and, and some parents, I know you do this, socks and underwear. That's when you restock the socks and underwear, right? You get it in the, and, and here's the deal. In our house, our boys had permission to open those stockings right when they woke up, right? Part, part of the reason we didn't, we put junk in those things because the real gifts were under the tree and we wanted to open those together because we wanted to see the looks on their face as they opened the, the best gifts, the stuff that was under the tree. And you know, in all our years doing this with our boys, I never, we never once had our boys say to us, you know, mom and dad, we don't want the stuff under the tree. We're happy with the socks. We never had that. I wonder sometimes if we have almost done that with God, though. And so say, God, I'm, 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 I'm happy with this. I'm happy with the tastes. You know, I kind of sense it's not very satisfying. I, it's not really meeting my soul hunger or my needs. But why would I expect anything more? Why would I expect you to want to bless my socks off? That was unintentional. Socks off. Why, why would I expect that? I mean, I, I've never really experienced that. I mean, I, guess, I think this is, some of us have just grown content too easily, as C.S. Lewis would say, easily contented. I pray again for this growing dissatisfaction in our midst that we would think as, as we experience store-bought Christianity with cookies that taste like junk, that we would say, I, I want more. And God promises more. His, his arms are wide open. He, just, he, he sent his son, and his son sends his spirit. And what does he say? Ask. So what's keeping you from that life that God might be asking and inviting you into? We're going to pray right now, and last, last week I actually had you boldly. I don't ask for a response like this very often, but I ask people to put their hands in the air. I, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands in the air this morning, but I, I, I want you to ask on the inside. <laughs> Just sense that there's this interior work that needs to go on in your lives where you are responding to what the Spirit of God is saying to you today. And so would you bow your heads with me? We're gonna, I'm just going to lead you through a, a time of prayer and reflection. I'm going to ask you some questions. God is here right now, and, and I mean, don't be weirded out by this. Just It's a time to be quiet with God and to let him speak to you. What might be w- the way right now that, what might be in the way, I should say, for you receiving more of the life of the Holy Spirit in you? Can you identify an obstacle, a hindrance in your life right now? When you ask God to forgive you for anything that could be a barrier to receiving, it could be control, it could be fear or doubt or inadequacy. Just be real with God about that. If the Lord has put uh, anything on your mind this morning that you know is you just you know you're not you know you're wrong in, and uh, the words of Peter kind of echo here: repent, <laughs> turn from that. And so you can do that right now. You can say, God, make a commitment in your heart to turn from that behavior. You're under obligation to it no more.
maybe when I was talking about the, the areas of brokenness in our lives, you're kind of going, there's a piece that, that God kind of put his finger on. And, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit's saying this morning that he wants to actually touch that part of your life and experience, your, whatever it might be. Just why don't you open up that part that, he, that came to your mind maybe. Just uh, acknowledge that and give, give, give God permission to heal you there. And then why don't you ask? Just you can pray in your own heart a prayer asking that God would fill you with his Holy Spirit. And this might not be the last ask. You might need to be like Jesus said, you ask and keep on asking. But for this moment, ask him to fill you with his Spirit. And so, Lord, we uh, acknowledge your presence here right now by your spirit. You're, you're near. You're with us. And you long to move in our hearts and our lives, and you long to change us and transform us from the inside out. You long to save us in every way we need to be saved. And, God, we uh, acknowledge our frustration sometimes with trying to, to slug out this life on our own and uh, trying to even to please you on our own without your power. And so we pray this morning, you would fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.